0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, let me ask you a question this morning. You don't have to raise your hands, but uh, let's be honest with ourselves. How many of you, at one time or another, were very jealous of someone? Maybe, maybe, maybe something they accomplished maybe something they received, maybe something they bought, and you're like, man, that's what I wanted. How did they, who do they think they are? And and, and so you got a little jealous. The other day, I have to admit, I was, I was golfing with some people and with my brother-in-law and another person, and I was the worst in, in, in the foursome. And, and I, a couple times I did tell them I hated them because they were better <laughs> golfers than me. And so I, at least I'm honest, you know, I just said I hated them. But there was probably, this is probably um, a, a low point of my life when it came... To jealousy. And um, this happened when I was young. I was probably four or five years old, and I have a twin sister, and I have an older sister that's a couple years older than me, and this was Christmas morning. Now, how many you know Christmas morning is supposed to be just a wonderful, happy peaceful time and you're opening presents and you're with your family. And this is just supposed to be a very joyful time. Well, that Christmas day, I think around 1970, 71, uh, the police were actually called to our house. I think, um, it, I'm teasing. Some of you are like, really? it? No, I'm teasing. Um, but it was close. Um, what happened was my parents, uh, got my older sister a green pedal car This thing was the coolest thing you'd ever see in your life. What happened was the minute she got it, I got into the green pedal car and we have eight millimeter film to prove it. Um, and I got in, and I would not get out. And my sister's coming. I was smacking her and I was just, I held on for dear life. I think I slept in that thing for a week. I think I ate in it. I did not get out of it. This was not going to be her green pedal car. This would be mine. And, um, I think after all the police reports and everything else that got filed, uh, this is what happened. How many know that jealousy is not a good characteristic? most of the times. How do you know that when you get jealous of what someone has and you know in your heart and you see what they have and what they've done, or maybe they've got to accomplish something that you want to do and that and that grips your heart, um, we, we would say that jealousy is not a good characteristic. We would say that jealousy is, is actually ugly and it can get ugly and, and we, may, uh, we may even do things to make other people jealous because we want to get back at them. And what jealousy does is it creates a feeling of insecurity, fear, resentment, wanting something uh, that someone else has, and then actually resenting that person for what they have. And, and, and jealousy can cause people to make very, very unwise decisions. And we see jealousy mostly in the context of wanting something that isn't ours, which is fueled by our Pride. Now, this summer we've been talking about the characteristics of God. And one of the characteristics of God that is clearly spoken about in the scriptures is the characteristic of jealousy. That our God is a jealous God. Now, at first hearing this, it always bothered me. And I said, What does God have to be jealous of? He is God. What does he have to be jealous about? It just just, just doesn't seem like a right characteristic for God because we can look at at characteristics of God is good, God is love, God is full of grace and mercy, but a jealous God, uh, that just doesn't make sense to our human understanding the way we defined um, jealousy. And so what I want to do is this is an important characteristic of God for this reason. God actually says that he is jealous. He actually says, this is part of my characteristic. This is, this is part of my name. And so we have to understand what did God mean by this? And and we can kind of look at it in the context of something bad, but in the characteristic of God and the way we understand this, it's actually a good thing. So I'm going to look at Exodus 25 and I I, I want to see where God actually calls himself jealous. Now he's, Remember, in Exodus, God is, is developing his relationship with Israel. He's taken them out of for over 40 years of bondage in Egypt. He's gathered them in the desert. He's given them the commandments. And he's establishing his relationship with, with them through his servant, Moses. And so it, when you read through Exodus and, and you read through the commandments, what God is trying to do is he's saying, listen, I, I, want, I want to bring you to my side. I want to know you personally. I want to have a relationship with you i don 't want anything to hinder that relationship that I have with you. You were in slavery to egypt you didn 't know me as God. You were under the bondage of another ruler now i 'm going to take you out of that and i 'm going to take you under my care and I want to have a relationship with you and i don 't want anything to destroy that relationship with you so before we before we jump to the conclusion that God is mean or that as God is anger, God wants to take something from me. I want you to realize that our God is a God who wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you personally, that he is your creator, that he knows what's best for you. And he wants you to live your life in the sight of his glory. And when we live under God's care and compassion and grace, everything changes. The way we look at life the way we view things, the way we look at life's circumstances, the way we look at material possessions, all begins to change in the light of God's glory. It all begins to change when God becomes first in our life. And God didn't want anything to hinder that relationship. So as we read these passages, let's let's keep that in proper perspective. So Exodus 25 says this, we understand the commandments of God and what he's telling them Thou shall not and what he doesn't want them to do. But he says, he says, you shall not bow down. He's talking about these idols says you should not bow down and serve them any other gods. And this is what God says. And this is the reason why I don't want you serving any other gods. He says, for I am the Lord, your God. Whenever you see the word Lord in the scriptures, that's the word Yahweh. And the word Yahweh is the personal name for God. I want to be your God. I'm the God of Israel. This isn't just some generic name for God. This is Yahweh. This is my personal name. So he says, I am the Lord, your God, your personal God. And what does he say next? And I am, what? A jealous, A jealous God visiting the iniquities of the fathers of the children to the 3rd and 4th generation to those who hate me. Further in Exodus, God makes it very clear of who he is, describing to them his characteristic. And so in Exodus 34:14, he says, "Thou shall not worship no other gods, for the Lord, there's the word Yahweh again, whose name is jealous." That's actually my name. My name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And so what God does is he gives himself the name Jealous. He's saying, this is my nature. This is my characteristic. And so the question is, how can this be a good thing in God and a bad thing in us? And so we have to understand the jealousy of God. So the word jealous in this context can also take on the meaning of being zealous. God is zealous for us. That's why he is jealous. He's literally zealous for us. So let me put this in in context of everyday life. Um, Every married person should be zealous in the protection of their marital relationship. How many of us would say amen to that? It's the right thing to do. We would think that something is wrong if someone who is married did not care if someone else was intruding on their marriage. We should be zealous in protecting our love in that relationship. This is my wife. I love her. This is my family. I want to protect them. I am zealous for them. I am jealous for them. I am zealous for them. Someone tries to come in and hurt them. I want to protect them. Can I get an Amen. The pastor, the pastor hat goes off, right? And and look out, I'm going to do all I can. Even though I weigh 175 pounds, I'm pretty feisty for about 10 seconds. But anyways, okay, so so we, we want to protect that relationship. We should do all we can to protect that relationship. So I want us to see the, the jealousy of God or the zeal of God is in this context. And and a good way to see this is how, uh, how God um, established his relationship with Israel. So let's understand the relationship that God had with Israel in the old Testament. What God had with them is not a a contract, but a covenant with them. God, God knew that they're going to backslide. God knew that they're going to, that they're going to do things that they shouldn't do. But God bounded himself to them through a covenant, through a covenantal love that he had for Israel. And I I like the words in Deuteronomy 31a because it it describes the heartbeat that God had for Israel. It it says this, it is the Lord, there's the personal name of God again, who goes before you and he will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I'm going to be there for you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I made a covenant with Abraham, and I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be faithful to that. Even though you may break it, I'm going to remain faithful on my end. And so it was based on his love for them. And he spoke this covenantal language to them that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So what God does here is he establishes his relationship with Israel through the commandments, giving them parameters on how to live their lives before God and with one another. And he starts by saying, listen, this is how much I love you. And this is how I want to protect you. And he starts by giving us the commandments by saying, do not have any other gods before me. And then secondly, do not worship any idols or man-made things. See what God understood and he understands about your heart and my heart and Israel's heart. He understands that when we put anything before God, it will compromise that relationship with him. God did not want anything to compromise the love relationship that he had with them. And he knew full well that when they would go into the promised land, the land of Canaan, there were going to be foreign nations there that served other gods and their temptation would be to follow them, which would cause them to, to be led into destruction. And so God gives them all these things saying, listen, if you do these things, and if you follow me, and if I'm your God, then you're going to be per- protected and blessed. But if you leave me and you serve these other gods, destruction will come your way. And how many of us know that full well? How many of us know when we followed our own way and we, we, we followed after the, the desires of our own hearts? Where did it get us? Not very far, did it, Right. And for many of you, you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor, man, I made so many bad decisions in my life. I fouled my heart and and addictions fouled and all those other things. And it led to destructions, destructions of relationships in my own personal life. And I know full well, and you're sitting here today and you're now a trophy of God's grace because God has redeemed you and restored you. Because you came to him and allowed him to set your relationship right with him again. Amen? That, that's the power of the message of the cross. That's what I love about church and coming to church and seeing lives um, that are restored and, and, and lives that are made whole again from the brokenness of this world. And I'll tell you, one thing that gets me more excited than anything else is when I can sit with somebody and they sit down with me and say, Pastor, my life is too broken, it, it, it's too far removed. I've made too many mistakes and I sit there and tell them, but not for God. Because when Jesus Christ hung on that cross for you, he died for your sins and grace and mercy are even offered to you. And when you see the gospel message transform their heart, that nothing more than that gets me more excited because that's what I do. What I do because I know that Christ transformed my heart at age 16 and no one can tell me any different that God is not alive, that Jesus Christ is not real. And the reason why I know is because he lives in my heart. And he's changed my life. So don't ever feel that your life is too far removed, that God cannot forgive it. He wants to have a relationship with you, and he doesn't want anything to break that relationship. And that's what God was trying to restore with Israel. He didn't want anything to come within that relationship. So don't, don't look at your relationship with God as, as like God is some dictator that, that is just a killjoy that's trying to take all these things away from you. In fact, it's just the opposite. God said, I created you. I know you best. In fact, I want to pour into your life blessings and peace and mercy that you can never receive by bowing to the things of this world. And so it's just the opposite. Let's get a correct understanding. So, so what God is telling Israel is, listen, I am fully devoted to you and I want to have your full devotion. Can you imagine standing at a wedding ceremony and someone saying, as these two couples are coming together and saying, I will be faithful to you 99% of the time. Can you imagine? <laughs> is that, that going to fly? Or you can say, you know what? I'll be faithful to you 99.99% of the time. Is that going to fly? No. There's a commitment there say, I need to be devoted and fully committed to you. How many of you know that wouldn't fly? The, the wedding vows demand full devotion and com- commitment, not partial. God saw Israel's backsliding literally as spiritual adultery because God was married to them. And God said, I will be fully devoted to you. But my expectations for you is that you will be fully devoted to me. And this was the thing that provoked God's zeal or jealousy for them. In fact, Psalm 78 58 says this and and talking about Israel and how they began to serve these other gods. He said, for they provoked him to anger with their high places, these altars that they set up to these foreign gods And they moved him to jealousy with their what? Idols. Okay, so now here's what we're gonna do. Now it's gonna get, we're gonna start stepping on some toes here because we can look back and say, oh, well, that's Israel, and they had all these idols, but let me just say something. John Calvin said this, great theologian. He says, Our hearts are an idol factory. Our hearts are our idol factory. So let's not just think of some graven image that we've set up on the mantle of our fireplace. Oh, great idol on my fireplace, right? Okay, that, that's, let, let's contextualize it to where we're living today. And that's why I want to be careful in our relationship with God, that God says, I don't want anything that is set up before me that will destroy the fellowship and the community that I desire to have with you. And so what happened is their idol worship Uh, defiled their relationship with God. And what it did was it broke the oneness that God desired to have with them. It, It came in between that, that desire. That's why the Hebrew writer says to, to married couples, to, to keep the marriage bed undefiled. And what that literally means is don't allow anything to come in between the oneness that, that, that I've created between a husband and a wife that says in Genesis that the two shall become literally one flesh. Don't allow anything to come between that. So God is jealous for us because he knows what it cost him. And he gave everything for that relationship. And, and, and that's what I love about the New Testament through Jesus fulfilling these things is that he establishes covenant with us through the blood of his only son Jesus, who is God. And 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 he did everything to bring us back to to create that right relationship that was broken because of sin. I I like what um, what J.R. Packard says here um, about this relationship with God and and understanding how we need to come back to him. Um, He says this, he goes, As our right response to God's love for us is love for him, so our right response to his jealousy over us is zeal for him. So this is where I begin to seek God because I understand how much he wants to establish that relationship for us. So, so God, listen, 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 listen. I hope you had your coffee because I hope you're awake right now. Listen, God cannot share his glory with another. Just as in a marriage relationship, you cannot share that relationship with another. Um, God says, I want your full devotion. Isaiah 42, it says this, it says, I am the Lord, Yahweh, Personal God, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And so once again, God knew that their devotion is going to be broken by serving these other gods, serving these other idols, where they put it before the relationship with God. So, so what is idol worship? What is it? So let's define it because we understand this is the thing that was breaking the relationship. This is what provoked God's jealousy. So I'm like, okay, how many, how many would you like to know if a relationship was being destroyed? How many would like to know what am I doing to destroy that relationship and how can I make it right? So we can take that brokenness and heal that relationship and make it right again. How many would want to know what you're doing wrong? You, you, if you want to make the relationship, right. You'd want to know, man, am I I putting this in front of you? Am I spending too much time doing this? Is it destroying my relationship with you, honey? Or is it destroying my relationship with kids? Am I spending too much time in the office where I'm not spending enough time with the kids? Whatever it is, you'd want to know. You'd you'd want to know if you'd want to make it right. And so God says, listen, I am the Lord. I give my glory to no other. And you've been worshiping these other things that have been destroying the relationship. So I I love how Pastor Tim Keller defines idol worship. And he says this. Here's idol worship. Just listen, because this is really a good definition. He goes, when your meaning in life is to fix someone else's life, we may call it codependency, but in reality, it's idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, If I had that, then I would feel my life has meaning. Then I know I have value. Then I feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. Now, Archbishop William Temple once said, Your religion is what you do with your solitude. In other words, the true God of your heart is what your thought, thoughts effortly, effortlessly go to when there's nothing else demanding your attention. It's what you do enjoy. It's what you daydream about. What is it that occupies your mind when you have nothing else to think about? Do you develop potential scenarios about a career advancement or material goods or, or such, such as a dream house or relationships with a particular person? person. One or two daydreams do not indicate idolatry. Rather ask yourself, what do you habitually think about to to get joy and comfort in the privacy of your heart? Okay, now we're getting a little bit closer to home. You see, why was God so adamant against idol worship? Well, here's the reason why. God is adamant to protect what is rightly his. And we were bought with a price. And we are God's we're his creation. So he has every right to have full access to my life and demand from me. What is rightfully his. Can I get an amen? Okay. We were bought with a price. It was through his wonderful grace that he received us that we didn't deserve. It's unmerited free grace. We deserve so much worse than you could ever even comprehend or think of. But yet God has infinite love for us, reaches out to us by his grace. So here, let's get this right. We may think idols are some ancient car image. However, idols, anything that we take from the glory of God. So let, let me just explain this thing. Sometimes we think idols are bad things, but not necessarily so. It can actually be a good thing that we make an ultimate thing. So an idol can be anything that is good that we take and we make it an ultimate thing in our life to give us value and significance in our lives. So let me, I got a list that I'm going to give you today of 17 things just to check our hearts to see if these things are in a place that they shouldn't be in our lives. So let, let me preface this by saying these things that I talk about today are not necessarily bad things. Okay. But if they become ultimate things, they become bad things in our lives and they can, they can replace a relationship with God and come in between that relationship that God, God has with us. So the question we're going to ask is, I'm going to ask you a question that goes something like this. Life only has meaning for me, dot, 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 or I only have worth, dot, 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 if these things occur in my life. Now, once again, these are not necessarily Bad things, these are not necessarily wrong things, but are these things ultimate things in your life? So just think thinking, if I go through these, some of these may hit home, some of these may not, but let's just go through them. Life only has meaning or I only have worth if... Dot, 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 okay? Number one, I have power and influence over others. Life only has meaning or worth if I have power influence over others. This is power idolatry. Okay, number two, I am loved and respected by fill in the blank. Life only has mean or worth if I am loved and respected by blank. This is approval idolatry. And I would say a lot of us have that problem of, of that approval trap, right? Wanted to be approved, wanted to be validated for what we did, wanted the pat on the back, want people to know how great and wonderful we are, Right? Okay? So I would say that a lot of us struggle with that. Number three, life only has meaning or worth. If, if I have this kind of pleasure experience or a particular quality of life, and this would be comfort idolatry. Okay? Once again, it's not wrong to have pleasure or to have a, a good quality of life. There's nothing wrong with it. But if this thing gives me meaning and, and worth to my life, it can be an idol. Number four, boy, it got really quiet in here. Okay, number four. Okay, it just gets worse, by the way. No, I'm just teasing. Okay, number four. Um, I am able to get mastery over my life in the area of blank. And, and this would be control idolatry. Okay, life only has meaning if this, these things happen. Number five. People are dependent on me and need me. Okay, this is helping idolatry. I only have meaning or worth if people are dependent on me and need me. Okay? Number six, someone is there to protect me and keep me safe. Life only has meaning or worth. If someone is there to protect me and to keep me safe, this is dependence. This can be a dependence idolatry. Number seven, I am highly productive and getting a lot of stuff done. Life only has meaning if I'm highly productive and if I get a lot of stuff done and this can become a work idolatry, nothing wrong with being productive. Nothing wrong with getting stuff done, right? Amen. We all, that's okay. But when that thing becomes the source of my meaning and my worth, trouble. Um, Number eight, I am being recognized for my accomplishments and I am excelling in my work. And this can become an achievement idolatry where I only have worth if I'm recognized for what I've done. If I do something and no one recognizes me, do I still feel good and it, it doesn't matter? Okay, this can be an achievement idolatry. Number, number nine, I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and very nice possessions. Okay, nothing wrong with any of these things, but if they become the only source of meaning and worth I have, it can be a materialism idolatry. Number 10, I am adhering to my religion's moral codes and accomplishments in its, in its activities. Boy, that's a weird one, isn't it? You think, well, that's a good thing, but guess what? That can become Religion idolatry, because then I begin to look at my works and what I do to God and not necessarily my relationship with God. Number 11, this one person in my life um, and, and, and is happy to be there and or happy with me. This can be this individual person idolatry. Life only has me or worth if these things happen in my life. Number 12, I feel I'm totally independent of organized religion and I'm living a self-made Uh, And I'm living by a self-made morality. And so this can be irreligious idolatry, irreligion idolatry. Number 13, a particular social grouping or professional grouping or group lets me in. This is the inner ring idolatry. I only have worth if I'm led into these certain groups or part of these certain groups or part of this uh, particular professional grouping. And if I don't get this, I don't feel good about myself. Number 14, my children and or my parents are happy and happy with me. Okay, this is family idolatry. I I, I have to please them. They have to be happy with me. So I'm constantly working at pleasing them, pleasing them and and making them pleased with me. And this could even go further into um, our children where if our children don't succeed. You know, is, is my worth and my value based on my children and their success and how well they turn out, okay? That, that can be a source of idolatry if we're not careful. Number 15, Mr. or Mrs. Wright's in love with me. It's a relationship idolatry. Number 16, I'm hurting, I'm in a problem, and only then do I feel worthy of love or able to deal with guilt. Suffering idolatry, right? Right? Number 17, I have a particular kind of look or body image, and this is image idolatry. I only have worth. Now, remember, all these, a lot of these things are not bad within themselves. It's taking a good thing, making it an ultimate thing. These are things that give me worth, and if these things don't happen, then I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel worthy. And so w- what is the answer to this? Because we all struggle with it. I mean, if we're all, to be honest with ourselves, and we to look at all 17 things, and one way or another, we all struggle with these things, with our worth, with our identity, you know, we kind of, you know, puff up our chests a little bit because we want to always one-up somebody else about their story. You ever been that with somebody? You tell them a story and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you could, yeah, I went on this great vacation. Oh, yeah, I've been there like eight times. Yeah, uh-huh. Now I've been there, but I've been here. Let me tell you about my story. You want to come over to my house and see my slides? No, not really. You know, it's, it's always w- because it's that need for approval, that need for success. So we got to, we can instead of just saying, oh, that's good for you, the person say, well, I got one better than you. And there's the problem. It's idolatry. It's making ourselves look better. It's propping ourselves up. All of this is idolatry. So what is the answer? Well, the answer as we look into scripture is only repentance. And so for God, God says, listen, Israel, if you want to come back to me, you've got to repent. Now, let's be clear. Repentance is not just feeling sorry for what you did. Actually, the true definition of repentance is changing your thinking. It's changing from thinking that these idols and success and all these other things are going to give me value and worth, and changing the way I think to realize God, you're my only source of security. You're the only one that can help me. You're the only one that can give me true value in my life and my identity is not based in my success or whether or not I accomplish this or do this, but my identity is now in Christ. And see, that's the hope that we have because even with bad mistakes that we've made in our past, my identity is not based in that any longer, but it's based in who I am in Christ, who, who's, who's made us a new creation in Christ Jesus. So my identity is no longer in it. So whether or not I'm, I'm totally successful or not, my, my identity is not in those things. But How many know those things can quickly fade away? can quickly fade away. And if we put all our stock in those things, and when those things are removed, it will show us where our lives really are and how much value we really put in those things when those things are removed out of our life. Can I get an amen? You guys are really quiet today. Okay, so let's get, let me go back to Tim Keller here again because he makes a good definition of repentance. And this is what he says. Repentance is unmasking the idols of our heart, the motivation for action and base basis for our identity other than Christ, and then taking them to the cross. Faith is trusting in the forgiveness of Christ, understanding both the depth of our sin and the worth of Christ's significance. So I have to ask myself, have I provoked God's jealousy by allowing other things to, to captivate my heart, even if those things are good things, but I've made them ultimate things. So here's a couple of questions I want to ask you. Are you looking for approval and are you a people pleaser? Do you want people to see you in a certain light? You may have put that before God. The Second thing I want to ask you a question today is, do you cultivate your image in a certain way as so you look better? Do you cultivate your image in a certain way that you want people to see you in a certain way so that you look better? That may be an image issue. And thirdly, do you see yourself as superior to others? Right? Do you see yourself as better? Do, you, do you point the finger at others and say, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that or I'm not like this? See, all of these things are idols that God says, I don't want those things to be in the way. I don't want those things to hinder our relationship to one another. Jesus speaks and shows the special revelation to John when John, the the apostle, was exiled to the island of Patmos and he wrote the book of Revelation. And it's interesting, if you read the beginning of the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to seven churches that are in Asia Minor. And he speaks to the things that they're doing well and the things that are not so well. And this one church that Jesus speaks to, the church of Laodicea, He didn't really have a whole lot of good things. In fact, no good things to say. But he said, here's the bad thing that you're doing. And I believe this can speak to our hearts today on what Jesus spoke to them. Here's what Jesus speaks to them. In in Revelation 3, it's the last church that Jesus speaks to of the seven churches in Asia Minor. And this is what he says about this church. And I'm afraid, if I'm going to be so bold with you this morning, I'm afraid this might be our church today. This might be not just our church, but churches in general today if we're not careful. This is what Jesus says to them. Revelation three fifteen. And as he's speaking to this church, he says, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, And he says, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And this is what he says to them. You say I am rich and I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But do you not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? He says, I counsel you to to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And this is what he says. Jesus isn't just trying to beat them down and make them feel condemned, but this is what he says. This is what he says in verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And this this is what Jesus says to them. Be zealous and repent. Be jealous, be zealous and repent of those things and come back to me. See, the problem with the church in Laodicea, it was a, on the outside, it looked like a great church. They had a lot of money, very, very wealthy city. And they didn't think they needed anything because they were self-dependent. But what happened is their lives became very cold and just indifferent the Lord. Not not that they didn't maybe want to serve God or love God. It just became indifferent. They weren't really on fire for God. They were just just lukewarm, just apathetic, just kind of going through the motions. And and here's here's the reason why he called them lukewarm. The city of Laodicea is very interesting. They had a very poor water source in that city. In fact, they had a lot of hot springs that they they couldn't get good drinking water in the city. So if you remember in, in Roman times, they had aqueducts that would bring water many times into the cities. And so this very city had aqueducts that would bring water in from surrounding cities. And the other surrounding cities, like Colossae, had very good cold drinking water, but Laodicea had very poor water. What happens is that water coming from another city, by the time it traveled through those aqueducts, by the time it got to Laodicea, was dirty, it was filthy, and it was lukewarm to the point where it nauseated you to drink it here, here's, here's what I want you to catch here here's what happens in our lives with the Lord if we're not careful is after a while if we're not careful our zeal for God becomes cold we begin to go through the motions we begin to go through life and as the more we go through life the less and less on fire for the Lord we become, and we just kind of kind of get mellow and kind of just get lukewarm. And the things that used to convict us don't convict us any longer. The things that used to grab our hearts no longer grab our hearts. The things that we used to be passionate about, no longer are we passionate about. When we hit the passion to read God's word and, and to worship and, and, and to really seek his face, no longer grab our attention. And what begins to happen, just like Israel, our attention goes to other things to fulfill that. And Jesus says, I love you. And I want you to come back. In fact, if you go later down, and we, we mistakenly read this the wrong way, we kind of look at this as a salvation verse, but it's not. Verse 20, Jesus says, Here am I. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. What Jesus is saying is, it's not a salvation verse. Jesus is saying, I'm, You've locked me out of your church. Your apathy has caused me to stand outside your church. I ain't in there. But what I want you to do, if you hear my voice and you repent, I'm going to come in and reestablish that fellowship with you once again. And let me be honest with you, every single one of us in our lives can allow the things of the world to just deaden the voice of God. And God wants us to come back. God wants us to hear his voice again. God wants to uh, light that fire in your heart again. And it comes through repentance and reestablishing that zeal for God once again. So if you're here and you just feel like, man, my, my zeal for God is not like what it used to be. And I'm just going to be honest. There are things that have taken my attention as you write through those 17 things. There are definitely some things in my life that I've got to do some heart checks on that I'm going to have to do some uh, serious heart monitoring in my own heart and change some things in my life good that's good because god loves us and he will discipline us because he doesn't want you to allow those things to cause destruction to come in your life and to lose the passion that he desires to have that to, to have for you and to you to have for him i um a couple of years ago i heard this interview with kurt warner who was the super bowl champs super bowl champs for the st louis cardinals years ago and he has seven kids he's a christian and he was on this uh talk show and they asked him they said "Kurt, you know man you you were you were um before you came to the nfl you were working at a grocery store and there was no hope for you and all of a sudden you got a call and all of a sudden you know you you, you have these records and you won a super bowl you've been to super bowl twice man that had to be great you know, how, how's retirement? It's got to be very anticlimactic. And this is what Kurt Warner said. He said this. He says, nah. He goes, I just enjoy being a dad now. And I enjoy hanging out with my wife now. Football doesn't have that much meaning to me. Because it's a great platform. I'm grateful for everything it brought to me. But he goes, that's not the most important thing in my life. You see, the idol for him wasn't football his relationship with god was that's what he could say to those that were interviewing him that's not the most important thing in my life anymore so let's reevaluate our lives and just ask ourselves have, have are there things in my life that have stolen my passion for god and my zeal for god and and, and wanting to have a relationship with christ and those things and now now here, here's going to be Here's gonna be the hard thing, okay? I'll give you a little homework. Okay? Are you ready? It's gonna be an ouch moment. You need to ask someone that you're close to, have I kind of lost my passion? Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a friend that's a believer, and just say, you know what, am I like I was, or am I am I? You know, am I, am I checked out in the family? or Have I checked out in you and my relationship? Are there things that I need to change to, to make that better? Have I allowed things to take place in my heart that, that shouldn't be there? And that's so, so hard question because sometimes we're so blind, we can't even see it. And the second thing I want you to do is when you pray, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to your heart. God loves you so much is not to condemn you, but to free you, to catch you. Because every single one of us are going to have, have huge caution lights in our lives that are wake-up calls. And if we don't heed those wake-up calls, the next step is destruction. The next step is destruction. And we all need those. We need those wake-up calls in our lives because those wake-up calls are good. Because they're there to protect us, not to condemn us. So as we pray today, let's just, let's just renew our relationship with God. And just ask the Holy Spirit... You know wh- where where in my life needs changing. You know, heaven just shine. It's going to hurt, and it should. But Jesus loves those that He disciplines. Thank God for His correction. Amen. Amen. So let's let's pray together. Let's pray together. Lord, as we bow our hearts before you today, challenge us. To look into our hearts and to see if there is anything that we've set up that we've began to idolize it that that's that maybe isn't even a good thing but it's become an ultimate thing in my heart that that i've i've kind of put a lot of stock in that thing and it's 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 leaving me empty lord i pray that you would reveal that to our hearts through the power of your holy spirit and we would begin to re-examine our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray that you would light the fire back into our hearts again for you if if our hearts have gone cold or have just even lukewarm. It's not cold or it's not hard. It's just indifferent. It's just apathetic. Jesus, you said, I'd rather have you one or the other, but lukewarm, I can't have you that way because we become ineffective and we can't be used by you if we're that way. And, And so, Lord, just change our hearts today. I pray that Lord, you would just light a fire within our church, a new passion for you, a desire to know you and to let others know who you are, God. So Lord, just, just zero in on those things in our lives that, that need to change. And thank you for your correction. Thank you for your discipline because we know that you love us and you don't want any of those things to destroy us. You desire to have that relationship and, 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 and you cannot share your glory with, with no other thing. And so, Lord, help us to put those good things in the right perspective so that we can enjoy them and not let those things dominate us. That we can enjoy the things that you give us because we see them all from your hand and a blessing of your hand. That those things, whether we have them or not, does not make our identity. Jesus, you are our identity. So may we be like the Apostle Paul that says, I am content in all situations, whether I have a lot or I'm in need, it doesn't matter because I can find Christ's strength in all situations, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's in him that I do all these things. So help us to find that contentment in our life in Christ Jesus. And we just ask these things in your wonderful, wonderful, wonderful name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Let's Let's just give the Lord just praise today for his word. Amen. Thank you guys for being so attentive. Listen, before I release you into this wonderful last week of summer, okay? Um, if anybody needs prayer today or anything you're going through today, um, our prayer partners are going to be up front. And we would love to pray with you and just agree with you on whatever you're going through today. So don't walk out without feeling uh, that need being that in your heart and your life. So God bless you and just have a wonderful day. Amen.